welcome back to another episode of Let's Talk Asian. Today's episode is about lessons we learned in our 20s. And to help me unpack this, I'm joined by my wonderful friend, Jane. Jane works in media and communications at a leading global law firm. Prior to this, she worked in PR and communications at a big four. Jane is Korean-American, raised in New York City, and is one of the kindest people I know. She's also happily married to an equally wonderful man. Jane, thanks for coming on the pod. I'm so excited you're here. Thanks for having me, and thank you for that amazing intro. (laughs) (laughs) How do we know each other? We met at BU. Mm -hmm. We were both on the Korean Student Association eboard. Yeah. And we were flatmates in London during our study abroad semester. Yeah. And I think that's when we like truly got to know each other and established a, a true friendship, right? Yeah. Like that summer. Yeah. That was probably one of the best summers in our lives. <laughs> I, I still tell people that like the summer of 2010 was the best summer of my life. It was so much fun in London. <laughs> <laughs> Do you keep in contact with any of the people that were also in that program? No, I don't. Except for, well, you know, our mutual friend, Jen mm-hmm. Kwan, who mm-hmm. I speak to um, here and there. But I mean, she wasn't really part of the program. She was just there at the same time that we were. <laughs> which made it which made it amazing. We would, we would go out. Like, I think we went out every single weekend without fail. Yeah, that was so much fun. I mean, it was fun because we. it was also, I mean, I don't know about you, but I think that was my first real internship too in London at a PR agency. And I mean, we worked Monday, I think Monday through Friday, but then we didn't really have real responsibilities. No, we didn't. So then we'd go out. And then the the other fun part was also just like going to all the museums and sightseeing. Yeah, we were based in South Kensington, which is a very posh area. I remember we were able to walk to the Victoria and Albert Museum. That's how close mm-hmm. we were. And then yeah. in our backyard was Imperial College. So, of yeah. course, we always need to go to Imperial <laughs> to, see, to talk to all the Imperial boys. <laughs> you know how we, we used to carry digital cameras around like 10 years ago? <laughs> And I, I have those videos that I uploaded. I don't know oh if you God. remember that one night where we went to Imperial College. We were drinking with some of the college students there. Mm-hmm. And there was a, a guy that like was teaching us all of these like English slang phrases. I, I vaguely remember that. Yeah. I, some, I, I mean, I, I look back on those archives because I still have those videos and I just crack up because that was so much fun. Oh, my God. If you have them, you should send some to me. I think I would find that very entertaining. And I think it's so funny that you just said, (laughs) remember when we used to carry around digital cameras? Oh my God, I know. But you're right. (laughs) Evolved so much. I can't, I mean, no, we don't need that anymore. Like, it's just iPhones now. I know. And Android. It feels like ages ago. I don't know about you, but as a woman now in my 30s, I feel like I've changed a lot. So take us back to what Jane in her 20s was like. My gosh, I made so many mistakes in my 20s. (laughs) Really? I feel like you had it all together. At least that's what it looks like. I mean, I guess maybe on paper. Mm. Like I had a job. um. (laughs) Which is good. Job check. Yeah, Yeah, check. Um, I mean, yeah, it wasn't. I I guess the mistakes that I made in my 20s were all just kind of 
common mistakes that a lot of people make when they're young. You're not as self-aware. You're still kind of growing and learning. And I think from that respect, you're not being the best version of yourself, like in relationship when you, Mm. not just romantic relationships, but even like friendships and- Or even um, family. Or even family. And you're still also just learning about yourself from, I think, like a self-identity perspective. So for me, I don't think I truly embraced my Korean-American heritage until recently, actually, like until my late 20s. Mm. Um, And I was always a little embarrassed. I don't know if embarrassed is the right word, but you know, in corporate America, I was working in a PR agency in my early 20s and predominantly white. And a lot of PR agencies in New York, there are a lot of transplants that come. They're not New York natives, I don't think. You know what I mean? So like yeah. a lot of them are from the South. A lot of them like didn't grow up with any Asian. I remember one time like at my first PR agency that I worked at, there were actually like a few like Korean colleagues that I had there and they were eating like jajangmyeon. Mm. That's <laughs> <And> so Korean. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was like, why are they eating that in the office? Because it smells, you know, mm. like there's a distinct smell. My colleague from Atlanta, she was Caucasian, but she was also just like very white, you know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. hasn't had any exposure to other sort of like cultures. She was like, what is that? I don't know. It was weird. Oh, yeah. It was one of those moments. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so, I hear and, you. Yeah. And I was like, I don't it's like this, these Korean noodles, but like, I don't know. I just, you know what I mean? Like, I just felt like not comfortable in my own skin to, you know, embrace my culture's food. Mm-hmm. So just like little things like that. But I think fast forward 10 years and I think like the impact from like a media landscape too has had something to do with it because you know I mean and we talked about this like when Mm -hmm. we met up last time but just k-pop has catapulted to new heights and you know these k-pop bands are now like global phenomenons and Parasite now having won best picture at the Oscars just all of that like I think has culminated into me just having more pride Mm -hmm. in Korean culture and and now at my law firm that I work at like I talk about it any chance that I get I mean (laughs) no not any (laughs) you're like hey I'm Korean hey yes and thank you I'm Korean (laughs) (laughs) yeah no but even like just something like what would you do for New Year's I mean because well we're all on zoom now but yeah um, I'll be like, yeah, I I like went to my sister's place and had Korean rice cake soup. And Mm -hmm. just, you know, we had like a bunch of chuns, like Korean pancakes. And Mm -hmm. it was just a lot of fun. Yeah, I totally understand because you're just throwing me back to all those childhood memories of bringing my lunch to school. And then all the kids being like, what is that? And all I wanted was like a Lunchables. You know, like all the cool kids just bought (laughs) like their two for five dollar, which at that time before like inflation and everything, like two dollar fifty cent Lunchable. That's like pizza. Wait, that's so funny that you even remember the price. (laughs) Of course I do. Because I would I would long for it when I went to the supermarket with my parents. I'm like, I just want that. And I want to bring that to lunch where all the kids are eating like their peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. And there was me opening up like my tinfoiled wrapped panchan and yeah and I remember thinking oh why is my lunch so different but you know what now it's like yes like give it to me like yeah, give me Korean the tteokbokki <laughs> no for sure for sure yeah also in college I had that experience where I was scared to like eat kimchi in my room because I know it tends to smell yeah. so I would like 
keep a small jar of kimchi in my college refrigerator and I would keep it super tight and oh I would like God. nervously open it every time I wanted to eat kimchi with my myokguk that I also made in my college dorm room by you the way made, you knew how to make myokguk in college yeah. I just <laughs> learned how to make that like four months ago I wow. mean I never said it was good I never said it was good <laughs> but I made myokguk in my college room and you know like I don't know it just it just smells different. It's one of those things where I look back and I was like so embarrassed, but now I'm like, yeah, whatever, this is me. And even to your point about representation, it makes it a lot easier when you see Asian Americans being represented in so many different areas of life, whether it's like business or media or technology or whatever, because it's like, oh, you're like me and I see you and that's normal. It's like normalizing that representation. That has helped a lot, I think. And I remember in my early 20s, corporate America, and I'm only like, you know, 31. It's not as if I've spent a whole lot of time in my 30s, but just comparing the experiences of those two decades is stark contrast because yeah. now in my current technology company that I work at, like the CEO recently sent an email about like stopping AAPI hate. Like we would have never gotten that kind of email, never in our 20s. That's true. Absolutely not. And seeing like my colleagues wish me like happy Lunar New Year, for example. Oh Everyone's my like, my non-Asian friends are like, Diana, happy Lunar New Year or like happy <laughs> New Year. And I'm like, thank you. Like I actually celebrated on January 1st, like everyone else, but thank you so much. You know, <laughs> you know what it is too? Joe Biden and his mm -hmm. wife also did like a national broadcast about Lunar New mm -hmm. Year. And I don't know if any of the previous administrations have done that, but I thought that that was really cool. But mm -hmm. I also think it's like the rise and prevalence of social media and things like YouTube, where because now that people have access to all of these different types of media channels, and people are just uploading content about food or whatever it is, like about different cultures. So everyone just has access to that. Yeah. And can yeah. learn about these cultural celebrations. Mm, there's a lot more accessibility, for sure. Do you think your values have changed since you were in your 20s? Oh, yeah, for sure. Okay, so I guess in my early 20s, my friends and I would, I mean, it's like everyone in their 20s. I don't know about you, Diana, because you were mm -hmm. always like, <laughs> you, always you were always, home. <laughs> no, you were always just very like ambitious and worked really hard. But yeah, for me, me, I mean, think, you know, in my early 20s, I played hard. I, mm -hmm. I mean, I think I worked hard too, but I, I played hard and I really looked forward to the weekends, mm -hmm. you know, to socialize and hang out with friends and meet boys, like. <laughs> Ooh, you met boys. <laughs> met boys, you know, like, I don't know, go on dates. I think that that was definitely sort of my focus in my early 20s. And then once I hit 25, 26, I think that's when things started to shift a little. How did they and, shift? Well, so once I hit 25, I just became incredibly aware of my biological clock. I don't <gasps> know. If it was... happened that fast for you? Yeah, I mean, maybe like maybe like 20, 20 maybe 26. But mm. yeah, I think so. Because all of a sudden, people are getting committed in long-term relationships and, yep. you know, starting to get married. And I mean, that is sort of the path of life for a lot of people, I would say. Yep. Um, for me, I, I was like, oh, shoot, like, I've never thought about marriage before, you know, in my, when I was prior to 20, 25, 26 years old. And all of a sudden, that just kind of, that became like a more focus, 
I guess. Mm. I think for a lot of women, we think, oh, I'm going to be married. This is not all women. That's a generalization. But I think a lot of women think, okay, by 30, I'll be married. I'll have a kid. My life will look like this. And you kind of like paint it all in your head. And I think... (laughs) At least for me, that has seriously not manifested and my life has taken a completely different trajectory. Mm. But did you start to have those feelings at like the 25, 26 mark that you mentioned? Yeah, I think so. And at that point, I was dating my well, current husband, had been dating him for about a year. I think I knew from really early on that I wanted to marry him. It's Aww. weird. Yeah. I mean, I mm-hmm. knew that he would be an amazing husband just because he was so reliable, very loyal, and a very consistent kind of person and just mm. a good person, you know, and that's the kind of person that I knew that I wanted to be with. So so we had dated and I was like, okay, so am I going to be with this person? Because at that point, I started thinking about marriage. And I was like, if not, then like, oh my gosh, I'm like, the clock's going to run out and I like have to find someone else. Those were sort of my personal concerns and worries. But now that I'm in my 30s and married and settled and we're both sort of living in the same household, we share values and we share the same goals, Mm -hmm. um, Kim and I. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's been pretty powerful and great is just sort of to have a partner. Yeah, I think that's really important having shared goals and values with your life partner, especially because I've noticed that values change over time as well. I think 20-year-old me thought that values were static, that you you just tend to believe a certain set of beliefs mm-hmm. and you live life and you basically have these set of values and they don't change. But what I've realized is that your values are constantly shifting, at least for me anyway, from my personal experience is like my values have shifted so significantly from my 20s and 30s. So for example, in my 20s, as you mentioned, I was like always very ambitious and hardworking and I still am. Mm. But looking back on it, I was so incredibly laser focused on like a very finite set of things that I wanted to do that felt like checking the box. Like I was constantly Mm. checking all the boxes because, you know, I want to be successful. I want to work at a prestigious place. I want to like be really rich. I want to blah, blah, blah. (laughs) You know, it's all the things that people like, yeah, it's like all the things that people like, kind of strive for in life and think that is success, you know, especially like in the pandemic year, like last year and this year, mm-hmm. the amount of self reflection that I've done, and like time to think about what really makes me happy has been so gratifying. Because yeah. I just realized like, I cannot check boxes for the rest of my life, and it's not living. And even if it's really scary, like redefining my values and doing things that actually makes me excited and brings a lot of happiness into my life is Mm -hmm. now very important to me. So, um, and yeah, yeah. I mean, I think going back to your original question about how my values have also changed from when I was in my twenties to thirties, I think like having fun and just these sort of more momentary, like fun experiences with friends and things. I think I, like those were sort of my values in my early Mm -hmm. 20s but I think and especially you're so right like going through the pandemic and just having so much alone time for yourself I've really focused on just kind of like self-improvement um self-reflection and focused a lot of my time on just learning more you know Mm -hmm. what are some of the things that you've been doing for self-care and like learning I mean reading like I've been reading a lot of books um and I think 
Books have really just widened my lens into different people's stories, whether they're like Mexican immigrants trying to cross the border or books just really like hone in on and like magnify one person's story, right? And it's like, it's like people from all over the world, Mexican immigrants or a Korean woman in her early 20s growing up imperialized Korea right before World War II was happening Mm -hmm. Um, and Japan taking over. Is this Pachinko? Pachinko, yeah. Mm. And then right now I'm actually reading this book called Nightingale. And it's about these French sisters during World War II. And basically like what happens when Germany occupies France and just all of like the turmoil that happens. And like, I never knew that. Mm. (laughs) Like, oh, really? (laughs) I mean, well, but like, because well, all of those books too are based on so much research. And I'm sure the authors have interviewed people and done like so much legwork to put the narratives together yeah of Um, course and so just learning about the different time periods and people's you know people's hardships and all of that has really I think widened my view on the world and on people's lives and so I think from that respect that's really humbled me because I think also in your 20s, like you think you are, can I, can I curse? I, I think oh, you yes, you can. Said, right? In your 20s, you think you're the shit. I don't know yeah. if you felt that way, but in my early 20s, I'm, you're young, like you're at your, mm-hmm. like the peak of your outer beauty. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, attractiveness? Like, yeah. Physical attractiveness? <laughs> yeah, you're at the peak of your physical attractiveness, like as a woman. Mm-hmm. And then. So and then it all course, goes downhill. Yeah, it all goes downhill <laughs> starting like 25. Um, what oh my god that's so early (laughs) so I I always thought that like when I remember like 11 year old me or like very young me I would look at women like us in like Mm -hmm. their 20s or 30s I always thought that women who were like 27 ish looked so cool to me that was the perfect sweet spot age where they're like young but also like have a little bit of maturity and seem so (laughs) elegant that was like my dream in my mind when I was younger and now that I'm like past 27 I'm like I see I see what I was thinking about I get it (laughs) oh really yeah but now I think being in my 30s is pretty fantastic I see my pictures over time and I'm like oh I I am getting older like I do see myself getting older (laughs) but I but there's something so refreshing about being 30 there's a new level of confidence I haven't felt when I was in my 20s where it's like yes I know myself so much better now and I'm okay with it I've accepted it and I know it's okay to be myself because the people around me are now the ones who I care about and who appreciate me for who I am versus like trying to be friends with everyone. I don't know, like for you in your 20s, I was super like, oh, I must expand my social circle (laughs) as much as possible and have as many friends as possible, you know, but I don't like, I don't do that anymore. Yeah, no, I agree with you. And I think like going back to the confidence thing too, like if in a, in like a corporate environment, being the youngest person in the room, like in a meeting or something, like definitely feels so self-conscious and mm. like to speak up and yeah, um, feel like you belong or have a seat at the table. Because we're going on almost 10 years now of being, you know, in the workforce and just we've crazy, come, you know, we've both gained a ton of experience, like work-related mm-hmm. experience. And now I was in like a Zoom meeting last week with a bunch of of folks like in the C-suite at my company. So I was the most junior person in the in in the 
Zoom session or whatever. I think my 20, you know, like 23, 24 year old self, like I wouldn't have said a single word, like if in a, you know, in a meeting. But now I feel like I have earned a seat at the table and it does get nerve wracking, like speaking to a bunch of senior people, but I just don't feel that anxiousness anymore that I used to. Mm. I don't know if you feel that way. For me, I'd say public speaking in general has always been anxiety inducing for me. Mm. That kind of parlays into like one of like the biggest failures of my career, I'd say was in my <laughs> 20s. Wait, really? What do you mean? Oh, yeah. I, I actually I actually wrote about this in one of my grad school application essays, but I will tell the story here. Okay. A few years ago, I was working on a rebranding campaign. So this very enormous global hotel advertiser wanted to rebrand one of their um, hotel brands. Mm -hmm. And it was like a $100 million kind of initiative. Uh, And they had their PR agency and their um, offline agency and their digital agency and all basically all their agencies come to a briefing at their headquarters. and so I was the representative for the digital agency. And we're talking about like, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars. And I get to the room and it's a two hour briefing and you're supposed to like ask questions and you represent your agency. So you have to like be polished and sound smart and all of that. I didn't say a single word. I, I went to a, I went to this two hour meeting, didn't sing a single word, <laughs> left. Wait, how old were you at the time? Maybe 25, 26. Yeah. Something like that. But on top of the fact that I can be pretty shy, not so much anymore, but like back then I could be really shy. I, don't I didn't say I anything. Never got the fa- I never like thought you were shy, but okay. I know, exactly. I, I think in certain certain uh, situations Scenarios, or contexts, yeah. I can be. So I come back to the office after having that uh, meeting and my manager who is like the complete opposite of me, like very outspoken, very like strong woman, like HBIC type person was like you didn't say anything in that meeting and I was like oh god oh god oh god (laughs) she was like she was like from now on you have a goal and that is that you must say three things in every single meeting and I want you to say those three things at the first five minutes of every meeting and I was like oh god Um, (laughs) (laughs) but that's really good advice whoever your boss was at that time so she was your boss yeah, she was my boss. And the reason why she gave me that goal was because she just wants me to keep getting into the habit of speaking up and being comfortable with hearing my own voice and saying mm-hmm. opinions and being comfortable with the idea that other people might not agree with my opinion or getting over the fact that I care too much about what people would think of what I yeah. say. But yeah, that was definitely one of the biggest failures of my career. And now it's like I've gone to the opposite spectrum where I go into meetings and I won't shut up. It's like Diana has every opinion about everything. Yeah, um, yeah. So yeah, it's it's interesting how that happens. Yeah. I totally resonate with you. I've, I've definitely had moments like that. I remember when I first, so uh, at the big four firm that I worked for, one of the first few meetings that I had was with the lead partner of one of the practices and all of these like marketing directors. And I think there were like three other partners in the room and everyone was just kind of making recommendations um, about what we can do, like how we can elevate the profile of the practice from an external standpoint and just making all of these great suggestions and everyone was super articulate and elaborate, you know, like elaborating Mm -hmm. on their thoughts and, 
when you're that young, you're just kind of com- also comparing yourself. I don't sound that smart. So I'm not, I'm just not going to say anything. Or even if I did mm-hmm. have something to say, I would just stop myself, you know, because I felt like I couldn't articulate it well enough or something. But now, I mean, now that we're in our 30s, I don't know about you, but for me, I don't care. I don't give a fuck anymore. Yeah. What I want to say. <laughs> it's like, um, how fast can we end this meeting now? <laughs> yeah. No, but I no even like ideas or suggestions, like I don't care how sm- smart I sound. And and I think mm-hmm. that's the thing too. It's like you don't like I think the, the older you get too, like you just don't care about appearing a certain way. Yeah. So you just want to get shit done. And mm-hmm. when you just focus on the work and the content or whatever it is that you're focused on at the meetings or even on email, like that actually makes you sound smart. Yeah. Like those are the things that actually people resonate with and like make you sound more intelligent than you are. <laughs> yeah. I noticed that like all the C-suite in my company just don't give a fuck. And maybe that that's like a C-suite thing across the board, maybe, but they've got so much experience and they're like, I'm now an executive that one of the clear indications of seniority is like your email gets shorter and shorter. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like when I was junior, I'd be like, hi, Jane, comma, thanks for sending this email. Thanks. Bye. And it just becomes like, Jane, comma. Yeah. Please send both. (laughs) Or it's like you don't even address them. You're just like, just write it in the subject line. Yeah. (laughs) I get, I remember when when I was in consulting, I would get those emails all the time from the executives. Like they would write the entire email in the subject line because they couldn't be bothered to write an actual email. In the actual body. (laughs) I, I mean, I like empathize with them now. It's like you don't have the time. Yeah. And it's also uh, in your 20s too, you read into emails. I don't, oh like, my you God. know what I mean? You're like, oh my God, like the, the tone of this email sounds like this person's really mad at me. Yeah. You're like, and you're just like in your head, you're like, oh my God, what did I do? Like, how do I make this person not mad at me anymore? Mm-hmm. And now when someone just gives you an attitude over email, you're just like, I don't care. (laughs) (laughs) Delete, archive. Yeah. I've gotten to a point where I put thanks in my signature. So like it automatically generates like, thanks, Diana, instead of me typing it in every single time. So that at least like if I'm really short on my tone, I have thanks, Diana. (laughs) (laughs) That's smart, actually. Yeah. Um, I think in that respect, it's very liberating being in your 30s because you're no mm -hmm. longer insecure about... Or less, at least less insecure. Yeah, less insecure about just, you know, being the most junior person or just things that used to matter so much in the workplace, you know, about appearing a certain way or sounding smart or appearing more senior than you actually are like I think all of that just kind of fades away once you head into your 30s yeah more confidence I like it what also helps is that I just know how to take care of myself better Mm -hmm. so like in my 20s for example like my physical fitness I would work out because I was like oh I really really want to like look a certain way and don't get me wrong I still do like that doesn't change I'm still like a person and I want to like look nice but I've, (laughs) I've like taken account my like actual health much more when I'm eating I'm thinking okay is this like gonna actually feel my body like in order for me to run or function properly or like, how will I feel the next day or will I get good sleep whereas before it was just like okay how many calories is this blah 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 it was very like black and white 
Yeah. And and I feel like I've gotten better at taking care of my physical health because I, I watch my parents and I see my parents are getting older just as I'm getting older. You know, if I can see the wrinkles in my face, like that, like we're all on the same timeline. Like my parents are getting older. They're now in their wow. 60s. You know, they qualify for the vaccine. Watching them get older makes me think, oh, I really need to take care of myself so that I can be the best version of myself when I'm at their age. And also because I feel like we are now going to start entering a phase where we are the caretakers. I don't remember how old your parents are, Jane, but I think they're a little older than mine. Mm -hmm. And I recently read an article where for women in their 40s, this is actually the most difficult period in their lives in certain sense because they're raising their own kids and then their parents kind of regress into being kids because yeah. then their parents have to they can't like be as mobile or like as flexible or as strong as they used to be so I'm starting to think about those things and like how can I take care of myself so that I can be that person in the future yeah yeah no for sure I think yeah um my parents are older. So my mom um, had me when she was 41 years old. So mm. I think compared to a lot of my peers, whose parents are, I think, you know, in their six entering their 60s or in their mid 60s, or even, mm-hmm. you know, late 60s, my parents are now entering their mid 70s. And I totally, wow. yeah, I totally see like, my dad was saying, because both my parents are in Vegas now, um, and they're mm-hmm. retired out there. But my dad was saying that like once you hit 70 like before when you're in your 60s like every year you feel progressively more weak like more weak and mm-hmm. just not as you know just not as energetic and all of that and he said once you hit 70 that progression happens every month oh wow you yeah. can feel it accelerate you can feel it accelerating like monthly on a monthly basis and i don't know hearing that like it's just kind of it's sad, you know, because they're entering, mm-hmm. like, you know, they're nearing, this is ter- like turning into a morbid conversation, but, you know, they are, <laughs> they're nearing like the end of their lives. I mean, I hope they can live like 20 more years and they're mm-hmm. both super healthy. And your parents look so young. I like, I, if, yeah, if I'm, I, I know how old your parents are, but I also know how they look like. And they look so young. They look 10 yeah. years younger than they actually are. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think they're, they're super healthy just seeing them age because I, I mean I see them maybe like every three months whenever mm-hmm. whenever I visit or whenever they come here and it's they get older every time I see them it's oh, really? very noticeable yeah mm. so just seeing those physical changes in them it it really you know makes me want to take care of them more and be a better daughter and that's the other contrast between being in your 20s and 30s and I feel so bad because because I have a wider age gap between me and my mom than most mm. people in mm. my 20s like she was 60 and she was that, like she was already aging at the time but in yeah. my early 20s I was like being such a an immature daughter like you know just mm-hmm. like wanting to go out and like didn't really care for taking care of my parents as much but now that I mean now that I'm in my 30s and I'm really because I'm seeing wrinkles in myself. When you see those changes in yourself, like you said, you know that that's happening to your parents as well. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, you're on the same timeline. Yeah. And so mm-hmm. it just becomes more apparent and palpable, I guess. Yeah, exactly. That's such a good way to say it. I live separately from my parents, but I take every opportunity to come see my parents whenever I can, even if it's just the weekend, because 
I know that my time is limited with them. And especially like once I get married, you're not going to live in the same house together. Not, not that I do now, but I still I can just like come over anytime I want. And it's not awkward. Mm -hmm. But if I'm married, I'm not just like gonna like be like, okay, bye, husband, I'm gonna go sleep at my parents house. Like that's <laughs> not happening, right? Yeah. So the time now is so precious to me of being able to spend that quality time with my parents, especially my dad's getting a little worse. He has like some conditions now. Yeah. And time is so precious, you cannot get time back. And yeah. I've seen many older people, I, I went to Korea this uh, or last uh, November in order to see my grandparents and wow, my grandparents, grandparents are still alive. Mm -hmm, my grandparents are now both 90. Wow. And my grandfather is very healthy considering his age, he still drives, for example, uh, my grandmother, not so much, I don't think she has much time left. But mm. You know, my grandfather said to me, you need to live every day like you've had a good life. This is the youngest you will ever be. And you have to keep that positive mindset and keep living and be grateful for everything that you have. Yeah. And that really stuck with me because he's right. Like today is the youngest I will ever be in the grand scheme of things. I'm in my early 30s. Like so much of life has not happened for me yet. And there's so much that I have to look forward to. Yeah, no, 100%. I mean, yeah, we feel old and we say that we're old, I think because we've sort of reached that maturity level, but there's still so much ahead for us. Mm -hmm. I'm sure like for what if, if I do this podcast <laughs> until I'm 40 years old, I'm going to look back on this episode and be like, hey, Jane, remember when we were 31? <laughs> and we thought we figured life out and we yeah. thought we <laughs> had achieved our, <laughs> our peak career, like careers. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. What are some of the goals in your 30s? Do you have any financial goals or, you know, family goals, things like that? Yeah, I want a wine cellar <laughs> in my house. Oh, um, a wine cellar. In the last two, three years, both my husband and I have become very serious about our financial future. So like we started diversifying our assets like he's investing like he's investing in crypto like we have some money in stocks and we're also looking into index funds and we've like upped our percentages in our 401k funds apparently nice. did you know that by the time by age 35 you're supposed to have 1x your salary saved up i thought it was 2x oh, maybe it's it? 1x i'm not sure but i have heard that before i think vanguard actually says something like that yeah. So I, I mean, yeah. So I think like, I don't know, I became a lot more serious about, mm. about saving for the future because now I'm, I'm also looking into retirement. I mean, it's still too early. For <laughs> Wait, are you, are you all about the fire movement? Do you know the fire? Yeah. Um, I mean, ideally, yes, but I think, I think like we still want to live a good lifestyle in the sense of we want to travel in our 30s still like we're you know we're planning to have kids soon and I think we want at least two kids mm -hmm. um and we want a house and we want nice things <laughs> so of course of yeah. course I don't know if that will be a reality for us being able to retire early but we're trying my husband has like he has a lot more saved in his 401k than I do and I'm like good thing we didn't sign a prenup because I'm taking all your money <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think. Um, oh, is that is that how it works? Yeah, I, obviously, I don't know anything about the financial laws or whatever when you get married. I think financial goals become more crystallized because of your other life priority goals, because money in itself is not really 
motivation. Like it's nice to have a lot of money, of course, but it's what you can do with that money and what that money provides you is that that's the real motivation. So like for me, money is like equals freedom. So the freedom to pursue projects that I actually care about versus just making money, freedom to go on like vacations um, and travel and see the world, freedom to have um, some cushion just in case there's a global pandemic and I, you know, get laid off. Mm-hmm. Knock on wood. I hope that never happens. But like, you know, you just never know. Yeah. My financial goals have also changed over time. In my 20s, it was all about just maximizing money. So I was just like, okay, just save as much as possible, get as much money as possible, and um, hoard it and invest it. <laughs> hoard it. Yeah. Dude, but <laughs> you know, I, I do remember like even in London, because you were always like going to free museums and like yeah. being yeah, as that's... frugal as possible. Yeah. Um, and, and I'm still I'm still very frugal. Like I'm very good with my money. Yeah. Um, but I've learned to let up a lot. Not not a lot, but I've learned to let up and like enjoy the fruits of my labor. So I'm not a stingy um Stingy is also a strong <laughs> word, but not as frugal anymore. I yeah. think I've I've gotten to a place where okay, like I can I can spend a little, you know, and yeah. be especially if you're working, be so more comfortable. Hard. Exactly. Like, what's the point of like living life and working so hard and making all this money to just keep it in a bank? You know, that's yeah. not the point. To be able to enjoy it for sure. The restaurants that I want to go to, or maybe like ordering the special thing that I wouldn't have had in the past, or treating myself to like. A luxury like getting my hair done three times a year instead of twice or mm-hmm. <laughs> whatever it is. I think that's much more up my alley in my 30s. Yeah. And especially like I'm gonna be going to grad school. So that's a huge investment as well. Oh yeah, um, I forgot about that. Wait, so when is that yeah. starting again? I'm starting school in May. Oh, okay. Yeah. So they've already sent me some bills or whatever. <laughs> You're like, oh, shit. I have to yeah. This. Grad school is like that. They they accept you. And the first thing they email you is like, all right, deposit, first semester. And they're chasing oh me God. for money already. Yeah. But, but I yeah. that's also good, too, because you're investing in your future by – you're essentially just trying to get, like, another degree, f- like, for the betterment of your future. Exactly. Yeah. Investing myself, investing in my future. That's that's the idea. It's it's one of those things that I just want to do in life and not regret. You know, yeah. it's more of an experience than anything to me. And I hope that it expands my worldview, expands mm-hmm. my perspective and lets me meet a lot of different diverse people um, so that I can be a better person and learn, discover different ways to give back to my community. I think that's the really exciting part. Yeah, um, that's really sweet. Yeah. In my 30s, well, I definitely want to continue reading. Not a lot of people know this, but Spanish and Korean were actually my first languages before mm. English. And But I lost all of my Spanish speaking skills. So I want to pick that back up. And I also want to pick piano back up again. Yes. It's like all the stuff that you, that you used to just disregard as a kid. Like I hated, you know, practicing piano and stuff, but like I want to learn all of that again. 
Mm-hmm. Learning never stops. And I love that you have those goals because it's like unlocking a part of yourself that it's like more creativity and passion based mm-hmm. where it's like, yes, this is interesting to me. It might not serve like a very specific function in my life, but it is simply interesting and it brings me joy. And uh, that's the kind of stuff that I'm so excited to like pursue more of as I'm getting yeah. older because I have that luxury. Of course, this we're having this conversation because we're women who don't have kids, right? Like yeah. once you have oh. kids, the conversation yeah. changes. Yeah. Yeah. But it I mean even when you do have kids you should never lose those kinds of desires that you want to attain just because you know you you want to keep your dimensions and have different interests and passions yes, regardless yes. of and I think a lot of moms and that's one thing that I'm actually scared of too once we do have kids is losing you know your personal self and your identity and your identity you know becomes heavily reliant on your kids and but I do think that I never really was the person who wanted to be a stay-at-home mom and I wanted I always wanted my own career and wanted to Mm -hmm. you know achieve like a certain sort of like height of my career but I think that's kind of why I like want to keep my job even after I have kids is that's like my thing like my sort of you know expertise and skill set and background that no one can really take away from me you know yeah that's exactly it that's right yeah if even if the world is over those are skills that you developed and those are your own um yeah. i think you bring up such a good point about the loss of identity when you are a mom. Of course, we are both speaking as people who are not moms, but (laughs) the closest mom that I know is my sister. And there was a moment where I was having a very similar conversation with her where she was discussing the option of going um, out of work. So like Mm. she has a small baby, nine-month-old baby, and they want to possibly have another one. But sometimes what that means is that one person has to give up give up, quote unquote, their career Mm -hmm. um, in order to be a stay at home parent. And she was discussing possibly that person being her. But then she looks at Olivia, which is the name of the baby. And Mm -hmm. she goes, Oh, but I want to show Olivia a working mom. Like, I don't want Olivia to be embarrassed of me and be like, Oh, she's just a stay at home mom. Mm -hmm. She wants to be able to have her daughter be proud of her. And say, yeah, she's like a cool, successful mom who has a career and can be a good mom. I've never thought of it that way. Like, what would my child think of me in the choices that I make? Yeah. No, that's true. And there's nothing wrong with stay-at-home moms. I mean, they have a huge job. Like, It's so hard. Kids and, yeah, like taking care of the household. And I think, I don't know how, like, people like us who are going to want to have, you know, continue to have a career are going to be able to juggle that juggle those responsibilities but I do think that it's important to exhibit like the ability to to hold a job and achieve something great for yourself and have like colleagues I think having colleagues is pretty important too you know not that like I I don't know I, I haven't really experienced having like really close like friendships or you know bringing your colleagues into sort of like your personal world. Mm. Um, But I mean, I think it's important just to have that, like that other network of people that you can share things with. And um, it's an, it's an outlet too. Mm -hmm. I wonder if that's a function of you working at a law firm, Jane, Mm. because I've always wanted to work at places where I make friends at work. And these are friends that I would be okay hanging out with. So certain companies I've worked at, I've made those kind of friends where 
we have been friends for like over seven years and I will want to go out of my way to spend time with this person. Mm -hmm. And then there's, there's certain people where I'm like, nope, I don't want to see you outside of the office. Like (laughs) you will just live in an email. (laughs) No, you're right. I think that is a function of like me currently working at a law firm. But before that, like, especially like when I was in on the agency side, um, Mm. there's like a lot of trauma bonding. Um, oh my god you're so right I never heard of it that way but that is exactly right yeah like when you're ju- when you're juniors on an account like you're just thrown into the ringer I mean I don't know about how like ad agencies were but for me I had to monitor for stories that my clients were mentioned in and put mm-hmm. together coverage reports and if there was one story missing like I would just get reamed out by like my like by my seniors and it was just we just shared so much like trauma like all of the juniors that were like the same age or whatever we would just like furiously like message each other being like what the fuck is going on yeah how could this person do this <laughs> or we just or, or and like we'd be we'd be staying late because we'd be doing all of these like administrative oh, tasks yes. at like 8 p.m so we'll like order food and just yes. like, really you know bond in that way and I have such great memories with my former co-workers in in the agency world doing all of that but um, yeah I don't work in an agency anymore but I spent like over eight years working at different advertising agencies Mm -hmm. so I totally get what you're saying and it's 100% true one time I was working on a pitch and it was a really really major pitch for financial brands it was myself and my colleague who's also like a work friend friend in real life yeah (laughs) we we ended up working so late and were so disheveled because this pitch was massive that she came into the office early and had a hoodie on and someone saw her because she was like brushing her teeth because she didn't like, oh really God. have time to brush her teeth. Yeah. And they legitimately thought it was a homeless person who walked in. Oh my God. <laughs> and I was like, wait, that wasn't a homeless person. That was, that was my friend. <laughs> like, That's so funny. like that was my, te- that was like her name. Um, yeah. So there's just all sorts of things that happen when you're junior staff and you're working at a large agency. They yeah. just like really work you. Yeah. They do. Yeah. But I I mean, when you look back though, when you when you reflect back on those times, it actually like at the time when you're going through it, you just hate your life. Oh, but, 100%. Yeah, but I think looking back now, it, they're fond memories. It's bittersweet mm-hmm. and I would probably think that my coworkers from that time too still remember like us staying late and I mean those are all just memories we can look back on but working at a law firm though it's not really like that everyone is kind of to to themselves it's a little Mm -hmm. it's a bit more buttoned up corporate atmosphere it definitely like boggles my mind that the next milestone we are hitting is 40 years old and just saying that out loud feels so weird because I'm looking at my face right now as we're recording and I'm like, I don't look like I'm 40, <laughs> but 40 is like the next thing. It's around the corner. It's around the corner. Have you thought about what you want to do in your 40s and like what you want your 40s to look like? Yeah, I mean, I definitely, I will, I want to own a wine cellar. <laughs> don't, that will, that will happen, Jane. Like, heck, I will make that happen for you. Like, that's easy. <laughs> By 40, I would hope that I would be near the peak of my career. Mm. Um, And I think like, I don't know, it keeps changing. I wanted to just for some time, I think I was fine with just making like the director title Mm -hmm. at my firm or whichever Mm -hmm. firm and and like staying a director for the rest of my life and being able to have a job have an interesting career, but be able to balance my home life with kids and all of that. Mm -hmm. But recently, that's 
like my desires have evolved and now I'm like, hmm, I think I can become CMO <laughs> or like CCO. I think I yes. can do it. <laughs> so I don't know. I mean, I think like things are never linear and you're always going to, like, I don't know, for me, I'm very indecisive. So I feel like maybe potentially I, I might just want to go back to being a director if and once I have kids, I don't know. But like at this very point, right now in my career I think I do want to be the chief communications officer of like amazing Jane (laughs) well I mean whatever that goal is and it might change tomorrow who knows I'm like here to support you and rooting for you on the sidelines I think that's great if we were having this conversation in the 1990s I don't think we would have confidently been able to say as Asian women the children of immigrants like we want to become C-suite executives like I think that would be a very difficult conversation to have but it's becoming more and more possible because there are women before us who are sitting in those seats and like basically setting the precedence for that being normal. Recently, I had a conversation with a C-suite executive. She's a chief digital officer of a large media agency. And I came into contact with her just because I was working on an event where I was recruiting panelists to speak. Mm. And I just could not believe that I met another like Korean woman who has a C-suite title. She's Korean. Yeah. It's very rare, especially in media, to see women of that level of seniority be even a person of color, let alone a woman, right? Mm -hmm. Looking at those examples makes me... It's inspiring, yeah. Yes, it's very inspiring. And I have not thought about what I want my 40s to look like in terms of my career. That's actually one of those things that has totally turned its head in my mind last year and this year where I'm absolutely rethinking my entire career trajectory and what I want it to look like. Mm. In the past, it was very much, okay, next level promotion, next level promotion, next level. Mm -hmm. But as I get older, I look at the senior leaders around me and I'm like, "Mm, I actually don't want your job. Like, you don't look like you're having much fun. (laughs) I, you know, I I would, I would actually prefer not to do what you're doing. And so I think in the next few years, my goal is to really think through what I do want to do and try to find examples of people that I actually do aspire to become. And, you know, everyone's path is quite different. So it's hard to compare one path to another. Mm -hmm. But that's like the career side of it. And I think the health thing is going to continue to be important for me. I have like this very small sliver of my life now where I can devote it to taking care of my parents fully, um, helping my sister with her daughter, like my baby niece, Mm. um, as like a single, unmarried, no kids person. Yeah. I also want to just unlock a bit more joy in my life. I think the idea that your life is as happy as how hard you work for it, like you cultivate your own happiness, that really is I'm bringing new meaning to that by like actually working for it in my 30s. So I think those are like the three things that I'm like thinking about so far when I think about my 40s, but it just feels so far away. It does, but it also feels very close. Mm -hmm. And, And the one thing, I forget who told me this, but someone said like, when you're 30, you're still sort of getting your foot in the door and settling into your career. But I think by the time you're 40, that's like when you're super established. And that's mm-hmm. that's sort of where you are in life is like benchmark of where you're at when you're 40. That's sort of 
the trajectory that you're going to continue on in terms of your wealth and family life or whatever it is. For me, I've that really resonated with me. And now I'm like, okay, so like I have oh, like eight, nine years left in my 30s. And if, if you know, and I, I created a vision for myself for when I'm 40 years old, like I want a wine cellar. <laughs> This like, wine cellar, though, <laughs> I, I want to talk to Kim. I know two car, two two car garage in whatever <laughs> suburb. Yeah, I mean these are like every woman mm-hmm. or every every man's goals, but it's like pretty common. But mm-hmm. I mean that's just I think that's like a good life, like a normal life. You're mm-hmm. comfortable. You don't have to worry about money, and you just you have a family, good friends nearby. Yeah. But yeah, I I agree with you. I think like your life is what you cultivate it to be. And Mm -hmm. there's a similar quote that's something like that you make the job. It doesn't make you, Mm. you know, if you want to cultivate good relationships at work, like you can do that. Like just be a good friend, be a good colleague. Yeah. Um, And you can find joy at work by, you know, constantly learning new things and learning new things about the business or the firm. And I think like for me, that's really what's kept me engaged over the last two years is I've been tapped for projects and I, I haven't said no at all. Even though my bandwidth is very tight, I keep taking on new projects and like that's led me to more opportunities and has led me to met, meet more, you know, good people at the firm and outside of the firm. Yeah, it's just helped me grow personally and professionally. That's amazing. That's amazing. I am looking forward to your growth, Janie. Thank um, you. Yeah, I know. It's it's so interesting to me that we've actually known each other for over 10 years at this point. Yeah. Because, you know, we were friends in college and now we're like talking about what 40s looks like. It's, I know. It's crazy. It's wild. It is wild. It's, wild. It's, it's especially wild because I still don't have kids. Uh, neither do you, but I'm not married yet. And <laughs> we're talking about all of this. I know. Um, but watch, and, t- and like, by the time we're 40, like, things are going to look so different. So different. So yeah. different. Who knows? Like, Facebook might not be a thing anymore in our 40s. There'll be a new Instagram. Have you uh, used Clubhouse, by the way? I, I oh, saw yeah. you on Clubhouse. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I've been using Clubhouse. It's it's really fun to be it's on. It's so fun. I think last week, Bill Gates was briefly on Clubhouse. I don't know if you caught that one. Mm-mm. He was no. talking about climate change. Yesterday, Eric Nam was on Clubhouse oh, talking no about his podcast. Yeah, That's so funny. I think like Clubhouse, I see so much potential in that app because mm. I mean, it's like it's like Reddit, but audio talking. only. Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. you're just being connected to all of these strangers and who have, you know, very interesting insights or expertise on a certain topic. And you're able to you know, interact with them, liaise with them. And I think it's amazing. I was on a, I was in a room about with like two like power women, um, like they mm-hmm. were like boss ladies and they were just talking about establishing credibility, um, mm-hmm. whether at work or like personally. And they were just talking about how like building trust is like the number one and quickest way to establish credibility. Oh, so true. Yeah. So true. That's an entire, an entire another topic. Yeah. I, I was, we have to save it for another podcast, but like I'll just give like a little piece of it. But Mm. I was talking to a friend yesterday and she was saying how she was doing an internal workshop about promotion, self-promotion for women. And especially as Asian women, I think it's very not in our behavior or not taught to self-promote because the whole mentality is like, my work will speak for itself. I keep my head down. Uh I do my work well and everyone will know how awesome I am. 
But the reality of like working in America is that you have to self-promote, that people won't recognize you or appreciate your work unless you make it known. Yeah. So it's like little little things like that, I think, are all things we have to learn and kind of like change our behaviors, change our mindsets or like adapt uh, to succeed in corporate America. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. But that brings us to time. Jane, where can our listeners find you if they want to get connected with you, if they want to talk shop, if they want to talk about what's your experience being in comms (laughs) or PR? They could find me on Instagram. Mm-hmm. You know my Instagram. Yeah, I'll. I'll <laughs> yes, yes, ma'am. I'll. I will post your Instagram handle in the notes so okay. that people can find you. Thank you so much, Jane. Have a wonderful day. Thank you. You too. Okay. Bye. Bye. <laughs>